You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you guys very much. Can we thank the youth band again for their their service this morning? Really appreciate them. It's a nice full stage full of good things. The youth in our church investing, um, growing in their skill and in their service. It's a um, it's a very encouraging sight to see the young people of the Lord and of this church choosing to give up their time, um, not only to practice and to have practice throughout the week, and uh, but to step onto the stage and lead us in worship. It's just it's just fun to see. It's that's why we're here. So, and then it's also fun to see all of the boxes. I think a few weeks ago there were two. <laughs> this is much better. So good job, everybody. I think we're close to the hundred mark. Or the are we? Are we there? We're over. We're there. All right. Good job. Give yourself a good job. You can return boxes. Good job, everybody. Now these uh, we talked about the Operation Christmas Child, and, and Amy will be given an announcement later. But um, each one of these represents the gospel going out to a child, and then to a family, and then part of a town, and in different parts of the world. So we're just thankful to be a part of this and be able to share the gospel. Um, and this is, it's, it's kind of a simple way, but it's um, can have a profound effect. So thank you for participating. Let's pray as we open God's word together. Father, we're thankful for your presence in our life, always and every way. You provide for us. You give us such good things. And Lord, help us to have a grateful heart as we worship you this morning. Um, we, we gather here, Lord, not just um, out of a sense of obligation or because it's Sunday morning and this is what we do. Lord, we, we gather because you are God. And you are the great I am. You are the self-existent one the self-sufficient one. You have no beginning. You have no end. You are completely perfect in every way. You are holy. You are other. And you are creator. And you created us. You are redeemer. You purchased us. You delivered us from the slavery, the bondage of sin, by the blood of your son on the cross. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, and because he rose from the dead, we have life those who believe in him, those who put our faith in Christ, we have life eternal. And so we're here, Lord, because you have made a people, you have made a family, you have, you have saved us. And our only response, Lord, we can give nothing of any, any earthly possession, Lord. We can't really even find words half the time, Father, but we're here as your people because you deserve all of our worship, all of who we are, the first of our lives. As the first day of the week, Lord, we worship and gather and we are thankful for all that we have because of you. Help us this morning, Lord, those of us who are carrying burdens to the door, who are discouraged or tired from 
all the things the world is uh, throwing at us, Lord, the past couple of weeks, we ask for encouragement, for help. Give us perspective, Lord, and ultimately your peace through your Son. And I pray that as we open your word, Holy Spirit, you would fill us with understanding. Help me to be clear, Father, in the presentation of your truth. And may we be renewed in our minds, Lord, ultimately transformed as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you turn to Exodus chapter 13, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Exodus. And if you're here last week with us, we we actually saw the Israelites coming out of Egypt, right? The, 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 all, of the, all of the work, all that God said he was going to do, all the promises of God were being fulfilled in this event. God promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and he promises to, this to his people. And after 400 years of suffering and slavery, as God promised, they came out of Egypt. And they came out remembering God's power, and they came out to become God's people. And so we, we discussed just a little bit of that last week, and the encouragement, hopefully, that we took away from it, that I've heard from many of you over the, the week, was just that if God makes these promises for his people, and he keeps his promises for his people, then we have nothing to worry about when it comes to world events or, or, or elections or, or COVID or whatever it might be. God has promises for us as his people because of Christ, and so we can trust him with those because of who he is. We don't have to fear. We can walk confidently in this world. We can walk humbly knowing that he's taken care of us already. We've already won. We, we know the end of the story, right? We often read the news feeds and newspapers, and we, we watch the news, and we're trying to get what's going on and what's going to happen tomorrow, And but we need to spend more time here with this good news and look at the end and look at what God has done and what he is going to do. And we're part of that. We're part of his inheritance. We are his sons and daughters. There's great encouragement in the scriptures if we would just read, right? And so we were encouraged last week that God is sovereign, that he is truly in control, and that needs to change how we, how we look at life so that we don't give control to other people and we don't think that we're in control. He's in control, and that's a good thing. That's a safe place to be, right? And so today we move into chapter 13, and one of the major themes that's rising up through this section is that, that God's people are to remember, to remember who he is and what he has done for them. Right, we've already talked about this, but God keeps repeating it himself, so we will repeat it um, as we walk through the text. He's already talked about the Passover. This is a this is an institution of, it's a memorial, it's, it's a statute, it's something that they should keep throughout generations. What? To remember what God has done. This this great Passover of his wrath, saving his people. By, it's by grace they have been saved, through faith, right? God provided a grace, he provided a means to save the firstborn of Israel, by the blood of a lamb. And they took the blood and they, they, they put it on the doorpost and on the lintel and they stayed in the house. And the angel of death, the destroyer, would pass over the house when they saw the blood. And the firstborn would be redeemed. They would be saved. And then when he got to the Egyptian homes, they did not have a means of atonement. And so they had to pay the price for their sin. And so the firstborn, from the palace down to the prison, they were all killed, including all of the animals. And there was a great cry in Egypt. And those Passover meal, this Passover service to be continued is to remember what God, this is a great act of salvation. Pharaoh would not let them go. And God made him let them go. He, he forced his hand and they were thrust out of Egypt. Right? 
for the Passover, the lamb, they won't have to, they won't have to paint their doorposts any longer, but they will have to, to sacrifice a lamb and roast the lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. That's the service they are to keep. This is a remembrance. They do it every year. Part of that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember? Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the first 24 hours in this period is, is Passover. And then that first day through seven days, they are to have no leaven anywhere in their house and eat unleavened bread. So the rest of the year, they can have leaven. They can go crazy with the yeast. They can have everything rising, all fun and fluffy and good texture. And right, they can, ice, they can have all kinds of fun. They can do cakes and whatever they want. But, but the, for the seven days, they got to take all the leaven out. And part of that was to remember they didn't have time to let things rise. They were quickly thrust out of Egypt to remember, but also to remember to be what? To be set apart, to be God's people. Leaven was... was um, connected with sin, with hypocrisy and sin throughout the scriptures. And so to remove the leaven is to remind them to remove the sin, to be God's people, to walk differently in this world. He's saving them for a reason, to be his people, his possession, a light to the nations. And so these were reminders, and they were for for the sake of the people. Because what? We're forgetful. We need these reminders, right? And these were annual reminders. And so, you know, when we come up on, on Christmas time, um, we, we do a lot of different things, right? We celebrate by by changing our decor. Right? We have we have a we have a Christmas Eve service. We 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 do different things in the community. Maybe we have different types of events at our home or at the church. We do these things as a means of fellowship and a means of of, of just enjoying um, the holidays and all the provision God has given us. But ultimately, we it's pointing us back to what the birth of Christ. That's the the, the point, the reason for the season, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a reason why we're doing these things to remember. And then the, the ultimate goal here when um, God is telling his people to, to keep these services, to keep these ordinances, is so that when your son asks you, right, or tell your son, when, when your kids ask you what's going on, you'll be able to tell them this is what God did for us. And so at Christmas time, when you're, you're doing all the things, you got all the lights and right, all, the, all the bells are ringing, right? That's for whoever that is. I'm easily distracted. Um, when all these things are taking place and everything's shiny, and why do we have to go to church this night? And we never go to church at night. And why are we going here? And what is this all about? When they ask the questions, we can tell them it's, it's, it's because of Christ, because of what he's done for us, because he, he came to earth. It's, it's the incarnation. It's, it's Emmanuel, God with us. And we start to tell the story. And as much as it's for the kids, it's for our benefit because we lose track as adults, right? We oftentimes get caught up in just the, the, the kind of the machine of the holiday. We, we, we find ourselves getting caught up in consumerism and some of the, the things we have to do. And so when the, a child asks you, what is this about? You have to stop and actually think about it and say, oh, oh yeah, it's about, it's about Jesus. And this is what it's about. And it helps, it helps all of us then because kids ask the best questions, right? When we talk about things, we talk about heaven, and the child asks, well, what, what's heaven? Where's heaven? And now we have to think, oh, I better watch my words and what I say, because how am I going to answer this? And we try to answer the question, and then we try to read some scripture, and we talk about what God's going to do, and, and we talk about the new heaven and the new earth, and this place we're going to live, and why does there need to be a new heaven? Is, is, it, is, it, is it because of COVID? Is COVID shutting down heaven? Like, why? like they ask questions, and they ask Questions like that, and we have to be able to answer. And so it's a grace for us to remember together 
We, we, we do these services, the or, these ordinances. We have these holiday celebrations, and then our children ask, and we, we tell them, and we help the next generation understand and walk with the Lord. And we ourselves are blessed because of the questions and explaining this, these things. So this is God's grace. And so these are two annual uh, services, memorials, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that God has instituted for Israel as they're leaving. And as this passage unfolds here, remember, they, they just left, and they're not that far away yet. Right? They just left. They have all their stuff. They're trying to figure this out. They've been in, they, they, are, they are lifers. They've only been in captivity. They've only known slavery. They've known nothing else. And so now they're just thrust out into the desert, into the wilderness, and have to f- figure this thing out. Even though there's great joy and rejoicing taking place, there's certain to be some set level of uncertainty. Where are we going? How are we going to, where, where, what are our provisions? How long is it going to take? Those types of questions. God's not concerned about that yet. He, he moves into another, another point of remembrance. He wants them to remember the great redemption that he has provided, that he has bought them with the price that, that they have been ransomed from slavery. And so he adds a new um, point of remembrance, the consecration of all the firstborn, the redemption of the firstborn. And so I'm just thinking about this, and it's just funny. I would be sitting there wondering, what's next, Lord, and where are we going? And God's just like, tell, Moses, tell them we're going to do this next, right? Not only are you going to have the Passover, not only are you going to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but I also want you to do this to remember. It's more important for God to receive glory, to be remembered that he's the one that saved them. He will take care of all of the rest. But this is more important. So let's read chapter 13, verses 1 through 16 together as we continue in our story. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. And that word just means to set apart. Set apart all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth." For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as it is appointed time, um, as it's appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. 
And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." A few things to, to look at in this passage. There's a lot of repetition. Um, we, we see that, that the Lord is commanding Moses first. So he just talked about the Passover at the end of chapter 12. He already gave the Passover instructions earlier, and now he's kind of expounding on them, reminding them again. And as we go into 13, uh, God changes and says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. God is claiming all the firstborn for himself. And then Moses goes in and talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he's reminding them of this statute, of this remembrance to do this. This should be as a sign on their hands and as a memorial on their foreheads. Ultimately, the the idea of, of, and this is repeated twice here, and it's also repeated in Deuteronomy a couple of times. Um, If you you read this and understand what it's saying here, it's not a literal, um, I want you to to tie this onto your hand, right? We're we're actually like just sticky note this to your forehead. That's not what he's saying here. Um, He says, and it shall be to you as a sign in verse 9. As a sign or as a mark. It's like a sign. It's, it's, it's a way to keep this in front of you. It's a way to keep this, this remembrance in front of you so that we don't forget. Because we're all forgetful people, right? We have phones and we have calendars and notifications and things are dinging all the time. Um, but we often still forget things, right? Or we put our phone on silent or whatever it might be. And so then we end up ultimately, some of us, maybe not everyone, but, but I do, I have my phone and I have all my stuff, but then I end up writing something on a piece of paper and putting it by the garage door so I don't forget before I go, right? Because, well, I'll forget. I've got to keep it in front of me. If it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And then that, that piece of paper will get piled over with mail, so I've got to write another note to look at that, that note sometime this week. So I don't forget. Right? This is what we do, and God knows that. And so he, he's saying, Just keep this in front of you. I'm providing a way for this to be kept in front of you. Every year, the Passover, this will be kept in front of you. And it'll, it's, very, um, it's very sensory in nature because there's a meal involved, and there's, there's all this stuff that you, you, will, you will remember. It'll elicit response and the, the taste and the flavors and the smells will, will cause you to remember when you have this feast and the unleavened bread. You can't forget that because your baked goods change dramatically for, for one week out of the year and people are asking questions and why and the kids are asking questions why and, and you're answering them and so you're keeping it in front and this is every time, every time um, um, an animal or um, a family has their, their firstborn, their first, firstborn will be given over to the Lord. The firstborn animal, an ox, a goat, a lamb, they will be sacrificed to God as a pleasing aroma to him. They will be a, the sacrifice to the Lord. A donkey is an unclean animal, um, not, for, not necessarily just because of hygiene purposes. God was always talking about clean and unclean just to help represent that they are to be separate from the world. But a donkey was not to be sacrificed and it was not to be eaten. And so the only way to, for, for God to claim to set apart the, the, the new donkey was either to redeem it with a lamb or to break its neck. It had to die. 
And so that, that, was, that was for the donkey. But for, for, the, for the sons, they were not to be sacrificed, obviously. They were to be redeemed. They were to be set apart. The word actually means to give over or to pass over to the Lord, to dedicate to him. You're passing over. And, and when it comes to um, the, the context here, we, we saw the Passover. God passed over those whom he saved because of the blood of the lamb. And now as a, as a, as a act of worship, we, we give ourselves back to him. We pass ourselves, we pass our firstborn over to him. We consecrate ourselves, set ourselves apart, give ourselves over as a means of worship to remember what God has done, that he redeemed Israel. And so these, these signs were not meant to be actual external things. They were just, it was a... Um, it was given as an example, do these services, the, these ordinances, they will, be, they will help keep it in front of you. The first century Jews began to adapt this differently, and then even in Jesus' time, Jesus in Matthew 23, um, <clears throat> as he's um, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, the seven woes, uh, to the scribes and Pharisees, in Matthew 23, verse 5, he says, and we've seen this before in other aspects where they are very much externally motivated. They want to be seen for all their good works. They want to be seen for their piety, for their prayers, and for their fasting. And um, they really are dead inside. There's nothing happening internally. It's all external. And in verse 23, 5, it says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And so you may ask, what is a phylactery? Is that a real word? And unfortunately it is, yes. This is a, these are phylacteries. I don't know if you can see uh, the, the gentlemen. So first century Jews, and, and, and even to today, during um, times of prayer, morning prayer, they, they might wear these. Um, when God said to bind them on your hands and put them as memorial or frontlets between your eyes, they took this literally as a means of, of worship, um, and they would actually write. So these two, these two parts in Exodus 13 and then Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 were two other commands that were connected with marking this as a sign on your hands or on your forehead. So they would actually take a little leather box, and they would write all four of these commands, these different scriptures, all right, they would write these out, and they would take, um, take them and put them in the little box and put them on their head. And then they had another box, and they wrapped it around their arm, and they would have it sitting here kind of close to the heart. And this would be an external um, act of obedience to these passages, even though that's not exactly what Moses was saying here. The idea was to keep this in front of you by doing these ordinances, not by adding something extra to your physical body. But this is what uh, the Jews have, have kind of adopted related to these passages in Exodus 13 and in Deuteronomy. And we have to be careful with this because this happens to all of us, as I just mentioned with Christmas or other times of the year, maybe it's Easter or whatever it might be, when, when the church calendar allows us to remember and when we do special events or special things, or maybe you have family devotions, you have, you have things that you do in your family to help you remember what God has done, to help your children to grow and to help your family move forward in faith, um, that we can get caught up with the busyness of the activity and we lose the heart of it, Right? We'll, we'll, putting, we'll writing the scripture on many pieces of parchment paper, rolling them up and putting them on your head. I mean, it, it, that might be helpful for some people, but that's not the point here. The point is just keep this in front of you. 
Remember that, I, that, that the God of the universe, the God who redeemed you, the God who saved you from slavery, the God, remember him. And whatever we have to do in our life to prioritize him, to put him first, that's what we need to do. So just think about some of the things that you do, some of the traditions that you do. Do they really help you to remember? Or do they help you maintain the level of control that somehow you're still working toward earning your faith or God's favor or something? Perhaps you've you've lost sight of that. And even as Jesus kind of rebuked the Pharisees, sometimes we need a good correcting in those areas. It's about the heart. It always is. Even when God commanded circumcision as part of his covenant with Abraham and with his people moving forward, we, we see plenty of language in Deuteronomy and other places that it was really, it was about the circumcision of the heart. It wasn't just the physical circumcision. God gave us physical things and signs and, and commands to help us remember, but it's always about the heart. What are we doing? And so as parents, if, if you have things that you have your kids do all the time and you got to read your Bible and you got to have your quiet and you got to pray and you got to do this and you got to go to this group and it's good to, to, to reconnect with them often and, and, and talk about the why. Why are we doing this? And maybe they do ask you. Maybe they say, why do I have to do this? And they do it like this, and your response is less than favorable. And it's the, I, because I said so, right? It's good for you, right? Versus this is why. This is what God has done for us. This is, you remember how God saved me? Did I, did I ever tell you this story? And, and you sit down, you have these conversations. Now you're putting it in front of your family and of your, your children, and that's a great blessing. So that's the heart here, is that this service and this Feast of Unleavened Bread is not to, not to be a downer, not to you know, ruin the festivities and to have this flat Frisbee bread that nobody likes. Or It's to remind, remind you of what God has done and who he is and that we're to be separate from the world. And we need those reminders often. And so I hope as you, as you come here on a Sunday morning, it's, I, I know sometimes it's just because you... you, you, know, you because you feel like you have to, you feel guilty if you don't. Maybe someone invited you, maybe you just feel like, well, I gotta, I gotta serve this morning, I'm on the, I'm on the schedule, right? And we all have that at times, but I hope that's not the, the primary reason, but that you're coming here because you love the Lord, you're remembering what He did, that your service is an act of gratitude, that you can't believe that you get to stand here and you get to hold the door open for other people to come in and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you get to help people organize and pack boxes so the gospel goes out, and you get to be part of a missions team that, that gives money from the church, and we are being good stewards, and we have relationships with missionaries all over the world so that the gospel is going out so that people are eating and so that they have the clothes that they need and the education that they need. And we're making a difference in these places. And we understand that because of what God has done for us, we, we give back and we, we see a stage filled up with, with musicians, young people who, who are, are trying to learn their skill and they want to be part of a group, but ultimately they're serving the Lord, right? And we all should be thinking about how, what is my response to this? How do I keep what God has done in front of me through my own service, through what God has called me to do? He's given us gifts to do that. <clears throat> and so God has provided this, this new thing. And so we've already talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so we're just going to focus on verses 11 through 16. This idea of being set apart, already said, is kind of a passing over, a handing off, a giving to the Lord, the first that opens all the womb. And the firsts are always difficult to give, right? Because they're the best. Why would we want to give the first? 
it's it's hard to do that. Um, I don't know if if you get a, a dessert at dinner time and and someone wants some of your dessert. Typically, you're like, "Well, I'll see if I have any left over." Right? Then I'm happy to I'm happy to bless you with my drool and my f- nasty leftover fallen over piece of dessert. Versus, here's the the prettiest portion of the cake and it's still beautiful and all that here. Why don't you take the first bite? That's harder for us to do. We, we want the first bite, right? That makes sense. It's hard to give over our firsts of things. The, the firstborn in ancient Near East cultures and, and largely it's really, it's really even in our culture globally to some degree, maybe not as much in the U.S., but there's an inherent value in the firstborn. There's an inherent different level of responsibility, level of um, maybe privilege. We know that in, 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 um, in the time of Joseph, there was a double portion of, of inheritance that came to the firstborn. So there was something about the firstborn that was important. It really, the firstborn signified the, the center and the future of the family. The center and the future of the family. That was the firstborn. Um, and so when, when God says, consecrate to me the firstborn, give the firstborn to me, redeem the firstborn for my sake, he, he really wanted the whole family to be worshipful in this process. This was about giving everything back to the Lord. He just gave them all of their lives. He just gave them freedom. He just redeemed them from slavery. He's taking them to someplace. He talked about bringing them to the land of promise, right? Not just out of Egypt, but to somewhere. This land of promise, this, this amazing place flowing with milk and honey. And, and so he's taking them there. He's going to give it to them. They don't even have to, they just have to follow his orders and do what he says. He's going to give it to them. This is his promise. He didn't say, okay, you're going, uh, when, you, when you hit that shrub, I want you to take a right and just keep going for 40 years, right? And you're going to hit this place, and then, and then good luck. It's yours if you can take it, right? No, he's, he's, he's going to take them along, and he's going to protect them and watch over them, and he's going to give them this place. That's how good he is. And so as a result, as an act of worship, they should all give themselves back to him to set themselves apart. And so giving the firstborn was really just a, a identifier, a signal for them that, that we need to give our best back to the Lord, that, that the center, the future of our family, really the family as a whole, need to be consecrated to God. And they would do that by the firstborn as a way to what? To remember what God has done, that he redeemed all their firstborn in Egypt. He redeemed them. He saved them. They belonged to him. So give them back. And there's no specific directions as to how this is to take place in this text. Whether they sacrificed a lamb or not, there was not a specific ritual at the moment. And so we see later on, we see that they would dedicate their firstborn to the Lord by, by giving them to the temple work, right? If you remember the story of Hannah and of Samuel, giving him back to the Lord. And there was other ways and means of doing that. But ultimately, it was a, it was a, it was a sign. It was something. For, so, if you think of baby dedications now, as far as a current application, so when a child is born, oftentimes we will we'll have a baby dedication, and so the parents are are coming up, and what they're really saying is, we know that that, that this child belongs to the Lord. He gave this child to us, but he he belongs to God. Created him. God created this this little girl, this little boy. And he blessed us with this child. 
But ultimately, we are stewards of this child's life, and we, we give him back to the Lord. We give him to the church. We ask for the church to help, help us raise this child, to keep us accountable as parents. There's, there's, a, there's almost like there's an unspoken contract happening in the body of Christ with the dedication of this child. And so oftentimes you'll see the child being handed to a pastor, one of the elders, or, and then, you know, the child will be recognized and, and in front of everyone so we can pray over the child together. There's a sense of ownership, a connection there. And then the child's given back to the family to be stewards of this child, to raise them well, and the church is to come around. So there's a beautiful picture in the dedication. It's pretty simple. But it just reminds us, right? It sets our hearts in the right direction. This is, we belong to the Lord. And oftentimes I, I see God's wisdom too when it comes to children, maybe the firstborn, maybe the responsible, maybe the one who's double inheritance. Maybe for us culturally, we put a high price on our children. We, we think of them up here, but for the wrong reasons. We think we own them, and they're going to do everything. We want to live vicariously through them, and so we want them to do all the things that we did growing up. And we want to make sure they're in all the right clubs and schools, and they're doing all the right things. We have a plan for them, right? And we want to make sure that, that they're on the right track, and not that any of those things are inherently bad, but what's our motive? Who do they really belong to? They belong to the Lord. So maybe we need to spend more time in prayer with them, over them, Asking them, what are you interested in? Where is your heart? Where, how's your walk with the Lord? How is your prayer life? What are some things that God has gifted you to do? And then maybe finding some things that make sense in their life, be, being observers, good stewards of our children, raising them up, training them up well, not just telling them what to do all the time, to keep them in line. We expect children, a lot of adults expect children to be adults now. They're not. They're children. We're raising them to be adults, but they're not there yet. right? And we get impatient and frustrated that they haven't arrived yet. And so this is a good act for us when we dedicate our children to the Lord. When Maybe we need to do this on a daily basis. Lord, my sons, my daughters, they belong to you. Help me, help me to raise them well. Help me to be good stewards of their life today. Help me to find good things for them to do. I pray for good friends for their life. I pray for their future spouses. Lord, protect them, watch over them. And don't protect them so much, Lord, that they never struggle because they need to to grow. Right? We, start to, we start to pray differently. We sometimes we pray with such a mind of protection. We just we want to bubble wrap them up and just let them sit in the living room and good, you're safe, right? But instead, we need to pray, Lord, help them to to know you more. Help them to understand that this world's difficult, but do it in a way that still protects their hearts. They're still and that's our job is to create an environment where they're secure, they're protected, but where they can still grow. That's a challenge, and it takes, as parents, it takes, it takes a lot of abiding in Christ as well, walking with him, listening to him for the sake of our children. All of these things are to be put in front, to be to set apart, and so setting apart the firstborn is really ultimately setting apart the best for the Lord, recognizing that everything comes from him. Even later, we see the, the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of all the harvest coming in, right, in chapter 20. What's the purpose of that? Is God suddenly deficient in vitamin C? Does he have a cholesterol problem and he needs some extra wheat? Like, why are we giving all this stuff back to the Lord? What's the, he doesn't need any of this. No, we, we do. We need to give it back to him. 
so that our hearts aren't bound up in all of our labor and our work and our production and all the things that we have. We need it. We need to give our tithes and our offerings. We need to give our service. We need to give our time back to the Lord because it's good for us. It's healthy for us. It gives us life. Giving back to him is an expression of our gratitude, but it's an expression of God's love and care for us that we would not hold on to these things. We don't become self-centered. We don't become idolatrous. That's the protection here. So all of these things are are for that sake and for that reason. And so um, the idea of redemption is one that's kind of throughout Scripture, and God wants to remind us of this redemption. And so the doctrine of redemption is kind of, um, being expounded a little bit. And so I want to just define this for us. We hear the word. We know that God is our great redeemer. There is, I, I, I went through and um, looked up all the different verses that had redeem or redeemer, and there was like way too many to even consider and print out. So it's pretty prevalent throughout scripture. But we'll see that there's a theme, in, even in Isaiah, some of the Old Testament prophets, some of the Psalms, as the Lord, as our redeemer. He's our great redeemer. He's the one that, that buys us back, right? And so here, here's just some scripture real quick um, related to the titles of God, um, as we see in Isaiah and some other places. Isaiah 43 says, Thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So God's reminding them, I'm the Lord, right? I'm the great I am, I'm Yahweh. I'm the Holy One of Israel. I'm the one that's high and lifted up, the one who inhabits eternity. But I'm also your Redeemer. I've redeemed you, meaning you belong to me. I purchased you. So there's a, there's a significance in this title. Isaiah 44, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out my earth, the earth by myself. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, Right, but also your creator. Essentially, in a very, very kind and more holy way, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Right? He's in control of everything. He's in charge. Isaiah forty-eight. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. So I purchase you. I know who you are. I know what you need. Follow me. Isaiah 4.54, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Isaiah 54.8, in overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. He's reminding people over and over again. Jeremiah 50, their Redeemer, capital R, is strong, the Lord of hosts is his name. This is who God is. He's our great redeemer. One definition of of to redeem from Holman's Bible Dictionary says, to pay a price in order to secure the release of something or someone. It connotates the idea of paying what is required in order to liberate from oppression, enslavement, or another type of binding obligation. So it's to pay a price. You might recall that... um, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you were bought with a price, right? In, in the context of sexual purity, 
that our bodies belong to the Lord, that we're not to engage in immorality with our bodies. He, he, he invokes the fact that we've been redeemed from lawlessness and from filthy ways and from evil things. We've been, we've been redeemed from those things. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him, so we need to act like it. We need to remember that. One of the, there's a pretty well-known story, familiar story, as relates to helping to define what it means for God to be redeemer, for redemption in general. Um, probably you've heard of it before. There's a young boy um, who made a little sailboat. I went out to the dad's workshop. This was obviously before there was technology, and they were actually, kids looked up, and they saw stuff, and there's wood. I'm going to go make something, right? So they make a little little sailboat, and he, he uses little pieces of wood and some tape and makes a sail on it and paints it and puts his initials. Everything's, it's a beautiful little boat, a little sailboat, and he takes it out to the lake and has a string attached, and he puts it on the lake, and he's watching this thing go with the waves, and Suddenly, the, the wind kind of picks up, waves pick up, and the, the string gets a little loose, and oop, he, he, he let it go, right? And he's trying to watch it, and it just keeps getting further away, and he can't get to it, and, and he's heartbroken. He made this sailboat, and it's gone. And so he goes home, and a couple of days later, he's walking through a small little town, and um, there's a little secondhand store, and in the window is his boat, and he, and, he, and he runs in and he tells the, the manager, he tells the person behind the, the counter, hey, that, that's my boat. I need my, I need my boat back. That's my sailboat. I lost it the other day. And I was like, I'm sorry. Um, someone brought it in to us. And, and so uh, you're welcome to have it, but you've got to pay for it. He's like, well, no, but it's mine. I should, I should be able to have this boat. It's mine. I'm sorry. You have to pay for it if you want it back. And so the little boy was kind of dejected and he looked at the price and so he spent some time working throughout the week, raking leaves, doing some other things, and he was able to save up enough money. He broke his piggy bank, and he had just, he spent everything he had and went back to the store and put it on the counter, right? And after counting all these little coins, the, the manager said, here you go, and he, and he got his boat back. And as he was walking back, he was just filled with great joy. And he says, you're, now you're mine twice. It's like, you're mine because I made you, and now you're mine because I bought you. And that's the, the kind of the heart, really, behind the gospel message. That's the heart behind this idea of redemption, is that God made us. And then, he, and then he also bought us, and we're his twice, and we're to give ourselves back to him as an act of worship. Too many of us, we hear the gospel message, we're so thankful for our salvation, and somewhere along the way, we just start drifting away from this amazing God who owns us, who has purchased us who wants to give great things to us, things to us, and we start to take for ourselves and think that we saved ourselves and that we are in charge of everything. And so God wants to remind us that we're not. That redemption comes with a price. So salvation as an overarching theme, being brought from darkness to light, new creation, the forgiveness of our sins, our eternal reward to come, if we, if, we, if we drill down into a little bit more, the idea of redemption is that we were saved, but at a great cost. And that's the, the price of the Son of God hanging on the cross, dying for us and for our sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a great cost. And so there should be great joy, and there should be a great giving back, a passing over of our lives back to the Lord for his use, for his glory. Ultimately, when the Israelites get to the promised land, it's not an end in and of itself. It's, 
God's their provider. Yes, they're physical creatures, so they need a land, they need food, they need water, they need work to do, they need family, right? But that does not, that's not what's supposed to define them. They're not supposed to find their happiness in all of these things. He's given them a land so that they can be his people, so that they will bring him glory, so that they have a place to worship him, to serve him, to obey him. He's providing a place for them to do all that stuff, not to serve themselves, Unfortunately, that's what, some, in some regards, the church has become. It's a place to serve me. What, do, what ministries do you have? What are some things you got for me when I walk through these doors? Versus how can I, how can I serve? How can I bring glory to God by being part of this, this community, this expression of the gospel here locally, this, this church, this gathering of God's people? How can I give myself away in this place? Because there's great joy with that. C.S. Lewis has a quote. He says, God cannot, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. He cannot give us a happiness or a peace apart from himself. It's not there. There's no such thing. All the things that God gives us are for our good and for us to, to give back to him. Right? Just like the redemption of the sons. In the, uh, the opening question of the Heidelberg Catechism, and a catechism is just a way to teach doctrine, just to teach the truth of the Bible. So oftentimes you'll see a catechism, they, it asks questions and then it answers the questions, and it helps to, to formulate and to keep kind of uh, theological truths in order. But the first question says, What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I belong body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. That he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. But the first part is just beautiful. What is your only comfort? What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is the, real, the true nature of what makes you happy, that brings contentment, that brings you peace in this world? And he says that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins. And has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. We have been, we have been other synonyms used in scripture. We've, we've been ransomed. We've been redeemed. We've been reclaimed. We've been delivered. Jesus says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the price so that we would be free from bondage and sin. We are to now act in light of that. And one of the ways that we can do that to remember is to offer ourselves in service. Because God's the one that redeemed us. He wants to remind us how he redeemed us. In this chapter, in chapter 13, just in this section, four different times it says, by the strong hand of the Lord. Verse 3, 9, 14, and 16, it's repeated. By the strong hand of the Lord. He's the one that saved. He's the one that redeemed. He said that earlier. He said, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. Right? He's, he's fulfilling his promises here. 
And so we have, an, we have a way to express our gratitude and our love for him by giving him our first and our best. And so as a way to apply this to our life, um, I'd like you just to think this week, look at your life, look at your calendar, look at your time, right? look at your bank account and all the bills you pay and the things that you do. And you might think, yeah, I've done this before. I take an inventory of my life and I look at what do I, what do I do? Where's my time? What, how much TV do I watch? And yeah, I can write that out and I can do a spreadsheet and it's going to be in a drawer in a couple of days and I'm going to go right back to what I was doing. That's pretty typical of most of us. I would ask that you, um, you know, lock the drawer or throw it out in the yard or do something, but keep the paper in front of you. Do something this week. Make a more dramatic expression to the Lord that you want him to be first in every area of your life. You're consecrating yourself. You're setting apart. You're passing over yourself, your children, your work, your time, your relationships. Everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. Find ways to remind yourself Set up things throughout your week to remind yourself that this all belongs to him. Not only is this an expression of worship, but pleases the Lord. You'll find that it changes your heart toward all of those things. Right? Lord, this, is, this, this work that I do every day, um, why is it becoming frustrating? Why is it becoming a grind? Why is there so much difficulty in my heart? Why do I have a, why are all these things, why is it so hard? Because it belongs to you. You've taken it. And you control it. And you don't give it to him. Versus giving the first part of your day to the Lord, the first part of your work to the Lord. Maybe there's some aspect of your work you can consecrate to him that just belongs to him. And it reminds you that he provided the work in the first place. He's the one that gave you this job. He's the one that provides for you, right? Maybe when it comes to your, your children at home, just the things that we talked about, looking at how do you, are, are, your, are your children just your future retirement plan? Are you hoping that they strike it big and straight, right, so that you can someday have everything you need? I joke with my son Jonas, he's giving me a look right now because, you know, I joke with him that he's, he's so entrepreneurial and such a hard worker. I just, whatever he does, he'll be successful. I know it. So the, the, the joy is watching what is he going to do? How is he going to do it? But I told him, I was like, when you get there, just remember that I like, I like fly fishing cabins in the mountains and, and, you know, I will share it with you. And, and then he, he retorts back, well, if I do make it and, or maybe if you die, Dad, and I'll, I, I get your inheritance, then I'll build you your cabin with your inheritance. I'm like, well, then I'm going to put in my will that if you build that cabin, only you can, you can only have the money to build a cabin if you put a picture of me over the fireplace looking like this so that you remember right, this memorial that you should have built the cabin earlier when I could have enjoyed it. But sometimes we joke about those things, but sometimes we really believe that. We're really thinking about that. We want, we want our children to do all these things, not just that we want to, hopefully, we're not hoping, we're not, you know, banking on the fact that they're going to provide for us, but, but really just so, um, we want to just be proud of them. There's a pridefulness that I want to be able to say that my son does this and my daughter does this. And I want to be able to tell people that, that they're involved with this and that they make this much money. And this is what they, these are the people that they know. And there's something about that that's rolled up in our hope for their success versus I want my child to, to know the Lord. 
to grow up in the love and the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and whatever they do to bring him glory and that they be able to provide for their family or, or provide for themselves or whatever it might be. But they would do everything for the glory of God. They would give it all back to him. There's a, that's a different way of praying, a different way of thinking about it. And Lord, help them to go through hard things now while they're in my home so I can help them through it. Help them to go through some difficult things now so that I can guide them and pray with them and, and walk with them and teach them truth so that they're not just learning this when they leave the home. Right? So we, we pray differently. So maybe we give up our children, maybe our relationships, maybe our spouse. Maybe we rely on them in unhealthy ways and we use them for our own purposes and they're just there for our needs and versus giving them back to the Lord and saying, Lord, bless my wife, bless my, my husband, Help them this morning. Help them throughout their day. How can, I, how can I love them more this week? How can I serve them this week? Because we know that in Ephesians 5, when we, when we love our spouse, we're really loving ourselves. Right? There's great joy. This is God's economy. This is how he works versus just taking everything. Maybe it's your hobbies. Whatever it is, is God first? Are you giving him the best of your day, of your work, of your hobbies, of your family? Consider those things. And when we offer him our firsts, we should thank him for his provision. Remember that all he's done through us through Christ. Acknowledge that everything belongs to him. We were bought with a price. We're not our own. And hopefully it'll help lead our hearts towards God. And we are participating in our own sanctification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that you love us so much that you call us to give you the best of our lives, Lord. You are not a God of leftovers. You're not a God that delights in just whatever we have left at the end of a week, the the end of our energy, the end of our... um, the end of our days and our work, Lord, we don't want to just throw the scraps at you, Lord, in some obligatory kind of frustration, Father. We want to enjoy what you've given us, and we can only do that when we give it back to you. We want to worship you for what you've given us. We can only do that when we, when we give it over to you and give over our whole lives, when we reprioritize our lives, Father. And Many of us say on a regular basis that our plate is too full. Lord, help us to empty the plate to start over, to wash it clean and to put that plate on the counter and put the the things that are first on that plate, the things that belong to you, the things that are important in this life, the things that require our attention. And once the the first portion is on that plate, Lord, and we know exactly who we are and, and what you've called us to be and how we're supposed to care for our own lives and that of our families and and what place work takes in all of this, and church and other things, Lord, once we have that first thing, that first portion of devotion to you, that we give ourselves to you, Lord, then help us, show us how to fill the rest of the plate. And help us just to have whatever we need to be nourished, Lord, by you, to walk in this life victoriously, not overrun with such a heavy plate, Lord, that it's just layered with stuff, and it makes us feel sick when we're done eating. And we're so tired and we're so discouraged, Lord, because our life is disordered. Thank you for your word that you called your people Israel to remember, to put you first, 
to prioritize your life. And I pray you'd help us to do the same. We trust you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.